The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this episode are that of the guest and host and do not necessarily reflect the values of sponsors or other associated organizations. Welcome to the Parental Compass by Family Education and Support Services. I'm your host, Bobby Williams. We release a new episode every week. We want to be sure that you know about it. So be sure to subscribe to the show. We'll keep you updated. Death is pretty much the toughest thing you have to go through as a person. It's a whirlwind of emotions. It's frustrating. It's inconsistent. How do you walk a child through all these feelings? Well, our guest today wrote a book to do just that. Andrea Dorn. Her book is called When Someone Dies, A Children's Mindful How-To Guide for Grief and Loss. It's an incredible book. I thought this was a really meaningful conversation. Check it out. you break it down for us right now? What do you say to your child to explain when someone dies? Sure. So I think this is such a great question because, you know, a lot of parents experience a lot of anxiety when they're having to talk to kids about this question. You know, how do I talk to my kid or my child about death? You know, because this is just such an expansive topic. And I think for adults, it really is an expansive topic because when we think about death, we think about so much more than just what does dying mean. But from a child's perspective, it's it's usually a little bit more simple than that. They're really just wondering, well, what does what does death mean? And really, what death means is it's the end of life, right? And so what kids need from us is just a really developmentally appropriate, concrete understanding of death. And so the way we can describe that to them is by using developmentally appropriate terms and really specific terms like death and dying. So in my book, um, I have it right here. What I What I say to describe death is when someone dies, it means that all the parts of their body and mind have stopped working and they won't start working again. So it's a really simple way to just be very clear about this is what happens when we die. But really simply, it's the end of life. And sometimes you can also kind of be, you know, a little bit more descriptive in that we won't eat anymore. We don't breathe anymore. Um, we don't walk or talk anymore, but it is really important to be pretty clear about the finality part. And depending on your child's age, they'll understand that finality part a little bit differently. Kids before the age of eight don't really have a good understanding developmentally of the end or of this idea of finality. But as your child passes that age of eight, they start to have a better grasp on the idea of finality. So um, so it can be a, a question that really produces a lot of anxiety for parents, but it's one that you can just address very concretely. And a lot of kids will hear that answer and they'll kind of say, okay, and then they'll sort of go back to playing with their Legos. <laughs> you know, they'll kind of, it'll it, that's just kind of the amount of information that they can take in and then they'll kind of maybe come back later and ask more. <laughs> I think grief is tough because it's so nonlinear. 
one day you feel really upset and then the next day you feel fine then you're so so then you're upset again and sometimes you can even feel bad about how you're feeling like i should be further along in my grief process or i'm not even feeling bad enough did i even really care about this person enough and um you know as an adult that's hard but how can you explain to your kids that all this wide range of feelings they have are okay yeah I, and again i love how you're saying this like this wide range of emotions because originally you know when we first started kind of looking at grief feelings, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, for example, came out with like the five stages of grief and loss. A lot mm -hmm. of people are familiar with those. Um, and so we kind of were looking at grief in this very sort of compact way. So like we've got these five stages and then we work through these five stages and kind of what we're transitioning into now is this idea that there is no right way to grieve. Grief is very expansive. It can last for a long period of time. Um, there's a lot of emotions that go with it. It looks very different for everyone. But especially for kids, it can look very different because kids are experiencing grief based on um, their developmental age, but then also based on their relational proximity to the person who died. Um, and then on top of that, kids grieve multiple times throughout their life. They can grieve the same person multiple times throughout their life. So as they age, they may um, have to re-grieve the person who has died, um, especially if it was someone that was close to them. So is that just because they're understanding it different or their brains developed? Yep, as their brain develops or as they reach different um, life milestones, they start to recognize the loss in different ways. And so we can have grief kind of come back to us in different ways during those times. Mm. Yeah, I have a friend that died about a year ago this time, and it's kind of like, oh, I'm just thinking about him a lot, you know? Sometimes it's like the year anniversary or like the holidays trigger something or all those type of things. Another thing this makes me think of is as a parent, you're probably going through grief too. And so how can you, I guess, take care of yourself and be supportive? Because that's tough. It's really tough. It's probably one of the, the toughest things. And I, you know, a lot of times what I think of here is, you know, you have to kind of put on your own um, oxygen mask before you can help others, right? It's it's one of those things where it has to be a priority. Um, and so sometimes I think parents especially can feel really guilty about taking care of themselves first. So it's about making the intentional space um, and being willing to reach out for help from others when you are maybe needing time or space. But I think it's also about being willing to share your grief with your kids. I think that can also be very healing for both your child and for you. And I, I think when you do that, it's important to kind of still maintain and reassure your child that they're emotionally safe. So um, when I say that, what I mean is you're not um, maybe being um, overly emotional when you're with your child. Um, but I do think it's really important and almost necessary to share some of those grief feelings with 
with your child so that they know that it's normal to experience those as well. Mm. So like, it's okay to maybe cry a little, but save that intense wailing for the bedroom or something. Yeah. And it, it's also, I mean, it's really normal and important for you to have those intense wailing times. That's part of the self-care, you know, it, it, because those are your grief feelings and, and you want to make sure that you allow yourself time to express those things. Um, but you also want to be sure that your child feels emotionally safe. Um, and that their nervous system feels secure in their relationship with you. Um, and so they might feel safe to emotionally or be wailing around you, but they want to be able to feel like you're not, um, you're, you're their container, not they're your container and they need to take care of your needs. So there's just kind of as, as their caregiver, there's just some nuanced things to, to kind of keep in mind, but it's still important that you have a space to, to kind of take care of those emotions too. Yeah, I think society and just life is tough in a way in that when someone dies, it'd be nice if the whole world could just stop and you could like have your time to grief, you know, grieve. But there's also like you got to work your job, you got to do this, like everything just takes constant maintenance. And so sometimes there's this temptation to like kind of push it away or like I just got so much going on, I just got to power through and maintain. And then also there could be nervous feelings about bringing the topic of the person who died up around your kids because you might be worried you're making them feel worse by talking about it. Yeah, I think that's really common for parents. They don't want, I think parents really, especially millennial parents, don't want to make their kids feel any kind of pain. So we do our best to protect our kids and we do our best to um, avoid any kind of painful feelings because we love our kids so much and we just, we want to see them be happy. And a lot of us were sort of taught to avoid those feelings ourselves. So a lot of parents that I work with are really in essence, learning how to grieve alongside their kids. Um, but when we do that, when we avoid talking about the person who died, we're really doing them kind of a disservice because what we're teaching them is that it's it's not okay to, to talk about the person that died. Um, we're teaching them that feelings are maybe a little bit scary and that we can't handle feelings that are big, um, that we have to maybe hide or avoid feelings, that there's not a safe space to, to talk about feelings that we might be having. Um, and so those are just sort of like inadvertent lessons that our children can be learning when we don't talk about the person that died or when we don't talk about the feelings that are common with grief. And again, it can come, it can be very, you know, parents can have the best intentions when they're doing that. And it com can come from a really loving place, um, but it can also just be really negatively impactful on your child. And so um, it's important to try to push through some of that and, and be willing to talk about the person who died and kind of maintain a connection even to that person. Yeah, depending who you are and how you grew up, that can feel really difficult. It can. Yeah, you talk in your book about the feel better steps. So one of them is hugging yourself. What are the other feel better steps and why do those work? 
So the feel better steps are really intentionally kind of curated for the book. However, in the book, I also kind of mentioned, you know, you might come up with your own feel better steps. These are kind of just suggestive, even though they are very intentional, but um, the feel better steps are kind of to pause and take a deep breath to give yourself a hug and then to stop and talk to someone that you trust or love. And those were intentionally kind of put there to sort of stop, give yourself some space. So we're priming kids to realize that they can cope by pausing, giving themselves some space to kind of cope with whatever they're dealing with, their grief feelings or, or something else. Um, they can sort of take agency again of themselves by giving themselves a hug so they can, they can ground themselves. And then also teaching the importance of healing through connection. So it's important, even if I feel like isolating myself, even if I feel like being by myself, it's important to even just reach out or just sit next to someone that I love or that I trust um, and share my feelings with them because that is how we heal in grief. You said in your book, um, the lovely shared will always be a part of me. And I just thought that was such a beautiful sentiment and uh, a big concept too. Yes. Well, you know, that there's really a lot to that paragraph um, because the the whole book is created so that it can it can really be applied to a lot of different grief situations because some kids who experience grief and loss have a really complex relationship to the person who died. It might not be a person that they cared about, but it might be still a significant person in their life. This may be more of a traumatic loss for them. But for some kids and for the majority of kids who are experiencing a close loss, it is somebody that they love. And, and we can have these people that we care about live on through our memories and live on in our, in our, and so if we can teach kids that they can stay connected to these people that they loved and who are no longer physically a part of them, um, but the, in their actions and in their deeds, they can kind of still remain connected to these people, um, then that's one, just another way that we can kind of help them heal. And again, we, we might not expect these kids to be able to comprehend all of this right away, but we're priming their brains to be able to understand that throughout the rest of their lives. Mm. Is there any silver lining in all this? Like what, what does death teach us as people? Ugh, yes, I, you know, I think death is just one of the most difficult things that we have to experience as humans. And I, I think if I were to poll the entire world and ask if they wanted to opt out of of grief, everyone would probably say, yes, me, I would like to opt out of grief and loss. But um, since we can't do that, I think one of the most powerful things that we can really learn from grief is that grief can teach us to connect. It can teach us to connect to ourselves, to others, um, to our faith, to our, our strength. Um, and I think it can do that in a way that we cannot access through any other way. You know, we can't access that through any other um, path except for this kind of transformative, difficult event in our lives, which is grief. I think grief teaches us that we can go through hard things and we can be okay. Like we can get out on the other end 
and we can be okay. And I think we can empower ourselves with that message and we can empower our, our kids with that message too. Right on. In your book, you have mindfulness meditations and you put them to music. And I wanted to see if you'd be down to perform a little bit of uh, one of your meditations. Yes. Yeah, so music, as you know, is a really wonderful way to help kids learn and remember things. So um, I have put all of my mindfulness meditations to music as a way to kind of help kids learn the steps. And I'm going to do my best to sing this, um, but I would love to share this. So when I sing this with kids, um, especially kids in grief, something that I do is um, I'll sing it all the way through, but sometimes I'll just sing the steps with them. Kind of, if you're familiar with Daniel Tiger, they have little short songs that they sing with kids often. And um, so sometimes I'll just stick with the steps and that can be a good way to just, again, prime the brain to remember to do the steps. So, but here we go. With one hand on my tummy and one hand on my bum, I stop and breathe and notice to give my mind some rest. When someone dies, it's hard. Life changes day to day. I'm learning things can change and that I can be okay. tricky for me and others too and when I feel upset here's what I can do first I stop and breathe then I give myself a hug next I sit or talk out loud with someone who I love that sing and I see the sun that shines I'm grateful I was in your life and you were part of mine and you were part of mine and you were part of mine Beautiful song. You're doing some amazing work, Andrea, and just thank you for being here today. Thank you so much. And, you know, I, if it's okay for me to share, I have this song on my YouTube channel, um, and there's a lot of other songs that I have on there as well, but um, there's a lot of resources that I share on Instagram and on my website. Drop your social media and website for us. Sure. So my website is www.andreadorn.com. Um, my Instagram is at Mindful Step Series. And my YouTube is also um, just Mindful Steps Series. And then Facebook, you can find me at Mindful Steps. So hopefully you will reach out. I love to connect with people um, and happy to answer any questions. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Andrea. It was great having you on the show. Keep doing your incredible work. This has been the Parental Compass by Family Education and Support Services. I'm Bobby Williams. 
We'll see you next week. Peace.